Hello, William here. If you're wondering where the normal synth intro music is, don't worry, it'll be on the way in just a moment. This is just a quick message to apologise for the bad sound quality in the first five minutes or so of this podcast. It's because I messed up and didn't put my headphones in for at the start of a recording, but you can still kind of hear Neil um, through the audio of my laptop. It just sounds like a bit of a spectral voice from the warp for the first five minutes or so but that's kind of appropriate because this is our halloween special episode Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Horace Heretics. I'm William. Neil. And this is our fourth bonus episode and this one's going to appear uh, on a Thursday, which is a first. And that is because it's our Halloween special. Um, I've always wanted to do a Halloween special for something. I've never, <laughs> never been in a position. <laughs> no, I, I've never celebrated Halloween in, in any way. Really? Growing up in Northern Ireland, it wasn't the thing we did. All right. We knew... Um, that Americans did it, but we didn't do it. That's interesting. And yeah, like the, there was branded stuff in shops that people bought. Yeah. But um, it was just nothing that anybody did it, anything for. Maybe people set off fireworks, uh, but it was very easy to get fireworks in Northern Ireland. So, <laughs> right. yeah, this is, uh, I haven't done any fancy dress thing. I haven't been to a Halloween party. I don't like horror films. So this is it. Not even as a student, did you go to any? Uh, I can't remember doing anything. You know, like back in those times, going out to a pub, you would do it for any reason. So maybe, yeah. I'm sure we did it then, but certainly not any fancy dress shit. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, this is <laughs> this is your first celebration of Halloween. I'm so excited. So yeah, this is gonna. And this is also different because we're um, we're jumping out of the thirty first millennium into the forty first to go to the sort of normal uh, timeline of the forty k setting, and um, and we're also looking at uh, we're looking at an audio book. Uh, sounds weird to say, but uh, we're talking about an audio book. Uh, which, an audio drama. An audio drama. Yeah, I was going to ask ask you that actually. It's like <clears throat> this seems to me like I'm not sure what you call exactly this genre of thing because it's not like you know it's not an audio book in the sense of it's just someone reading a book. It's not an audio drama in like it being like The Archers or something because there there is like um, you know there's narration within it. But so is this its own kind of hybrid genre of those two things or is that just overcomplicating matters? I, I would say, no, 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 it's a good point. I would say this uh, fits within, uh, well, what I would call radio drama, but obviously this hasn't been on radio. Um, it was something I was going to ask you was, um, do you have any experience with radio dramas? Because I grew up with them. I love these things. Not really, actually. Um, not really. I, I mean, it's the kind of thing that, you know, I would hear in the background sometimes in my home, but it kind of annoyed me because I was like, you'd, you'd come into something like halfway through. The nature of the radio in my house growing up was just, it was kind of on. I mean, often it was on like yeah. Five Live and like sports and news and stuff like that. Sometimes it would be Radio 4, so it would, uh, sometimes Radio Scotland, which might also have uh, a, a drama on it at times, I think. Uh, and, and it just like, because it... I experienced it as a thing that just goes on in the background. It's like a drama, something I want to sit down to and listen to from start to finish, you know. And um, that wasn't <laughs> generally how I thought of like audio media. Like, it's the same now, actually. Like uh, I listen to quite a lot of podcasts, uh, and that's something you can kind of stick on. Some some of them are not, but a lot of them you can just sort of stick on in the background, and you don't have to catch every single word, right? So like. I'm not that used to what I had to do for this, which is actually kind of like, it's not true, I did make my dinner while listening to this, but like, uh, the first time I tried to I listen to it, your cooking. <laughs> the, first, the first time I, tr- I listen, tried to listen to it, which I'll get to in a minute, um, I, I properly was like, right, I'm going to sit down on the sofa, put this on, and just listen, um, and I fell asleep, because it was late at night, and it was 
quite relaxing. Like it was a bit like a white noise track or something. Like the the sort of sound effects in the background. But yeah, sorry. But you like this kind of thing? You say you've got. Yeah, yeah. I I grew up with Radio Four being on all the time, the home of this stuff, and there would always be regular dramas and then special dramas and then versions of classics and stuff. And then uh, on long car journeys, we would always have Radio 4 on or we would always buy loads of like uh, cassette tapes from the BBC archives. And so we would have um, classics, you know, the uh, classic stuff from the 60s, 70s and 80s and we'd be listening to it sort of in the 90s. And so I have a, a fondness for this stuff. But I, I wonder, because like a bunch of our listeners uh, are like from Australia and America and Canada and stuff. And I don't know, I don't know like what broadcasters would do in those places because uh, my brother-in-law is American and he says he it just didn't exist for him uh, growing up this kind of stuff the only it's the bbc is the only producer i can really think of this maybe npr to a certain extent but um yeah i don't know if if other people will have a history with this with this kind of yeah so you say this is um an audio drama but it's like it's not full-on like the archers or something because there is narration yep in it is the, is the archers going to be I'm not sure if that reference is going to work. No, well, I mean, uh, for all um, that BBC Radio 4 is sort of what I grew up on, everyone in my family just went, oh, the fucking archers when it came on <laughs> and, and would turn it off. So I, I've literally never heard it, but I know what it is. It's a long, it's been going on for fucking like 50 or 60 years daily on the BBC. It's like 20 minutes of a fucking farming community and their boring, <laughs> pointless existences. Um, Can I, oh, I hold on, hold on. That just sounded fucking terrible. I just realized that I may have implied that people in farming communities have boring existences. That's not what I meant at all. I'm, I have farming, I have farmers in my family. What, what I meant was the, just these particular farmers have no value. These, these particular ones. See, I... I know more about. I don't think I've ever listened to a full episode of The Archers. I know more about The Archers because yeah, it would be the same kind of thing. I'd be like, oh, you know, just want the radio turned off instantly if that if I heard that uh, coming on. But um, I I know of it more as like a cultural reference point than an actual thing. You know, what I mean, it's just kind of like thing people make yeah, jokes about. Yeah. Um. But but I suppose very, I refer very, to that very just, much me too. Just as an example of something that. Wouldn't would be a story that's just acted out and uh, and has sound effects in the yeah, background. Yeah, no, I, I I get it. Like a a piece of theatre, but recorded on the radio, almost. Like yeah. No... And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got like someone just literally reading out a book, uh, like one person reading out a book. Um, yeah. Being a sort of uh, that's a book. Um, I was trying to find the word there. I was like, someone reading that book. Um, it's an audio book. book. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, but, yeah, well done. But this is kind of somewhere between those two ends of the spectrum, if you like, in that it is narrated, but there are like yeah. different actors in it, and there's sound effects and and all that. And I, I don't. Uh, oh, the sound effects. Oh, yes. I, we haven't actually even introduced what we're talking about. <laughs> We haven't said what it is. Well, Uh, yeah, we just tried to define what an audio drama and an audio book is, and give her give a little bit of biographical uh, flavour about our experience of those. And now I'm going to tell you why we've done that. It's because this episode uh, we're looking at an audio book called "The Way Out" by Rachel Harrison. Well, that can can I just get down to brass tacks? (laughs) Okay. Um, you sent me a text message in the middle of the week saying that yesterday, Saturday, was the day that pre-orders were going to open for that cup that you want so much <laughs> from the Black Library merchandise store or the Games Workshop merchandise store or something. Um, did you get in on that? Did you get one of those sweet coffee It's next cups? Saturday, Neil. Is it uh, next Saturday? Yeah, don't worry. Um, are, you go- are you going to get one? Oh, yeah. Oh, see... In in every sort of kind of 
double act thing the what we've got going on here everyone has to find their roles and like <laughs> where this is going and we've we've never we've never uh podcasted before the the role that i think i've sort of carved out for myself is the sort of erudite clever one the one <laughs> The person who can sort of see through to the, the heart of the story, but also explain it in a sort of erudite and really interesting way. Um, your role, Will, I think, is uh, the kind of person who knows when they can pre-order a cup. <laughs> um, and I think I think that's why it works so well, is that I've got the skills and you've got whatever that is. <laughs> basically like uh yeah i'm the mark essentially um <laughs> exactly uh what we're doing this week as you can tell is a bit different um we're discussing an audio drama and this is one that's part of a, a relatively new thing that the black library have done i think which is to actually kind of a sort of horror sub brand if you like and this is also the first of anything we've talked about that is authored by a woman. I, I've looked through the list of authors for the Horace Heresy books and I can't be totally sure, but I think there might be no women at all. Really? Jesus. Um, possibly in the short stories, short story collections there might be in there. I mean, I'm not totally sure, but yeah. I think there, there, there's certainly not, not many. But um, the Black Libraries maybe... Um, bringing in uh, different authors so maybe they're actively trying to be more diverse as well that would, um, that would be welcome okay so on to the book then i suppose uh it's called the way out um it's by rachel harrison and it's performed by grace andrews steve conlin matthew hunt jonathan keeble carla mendonza colleen pendergast david seddon and david sibley and uh, it didn't tell us who was doing what, uh, so I can't uh, say who the uh, the actor is playing the different roles. But on the whole, pretty good performances from everyone. I thought. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. Um, the narrator was fucking superb, whoever that was. And there were some nice demon voices mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, the uh, th- thing with these, like, I I love uh, these because dialogue will perf- like it kind of has to be slightly clunky because it's it's performing two roles you know it has to get the plot along but it also has to describe what's happening in what you're imagining but not really seeing so <laughs> there there is a, a a good bit where somebody shoots himself in the head and the next line is he shot himself in the head which <laughs> you know uh yeah people would probably have seen that um yeah but uh, what's great about audio dramas is the foley work and again it's serving two purposes it's um giving color to the thing but also uh moving plot along and also describing what's happening in the scene and um they make <laughs> they make heavy use of the reverb in this uh things things just reverberate just on into the distance it's great fun yeah i like i think i mentioned before but i uh the first time i tried to listen to this i mean it was quite late at night but i fell asleep because it was a bit like a sort of white noise yeah background track and it was really relaxing because it was like trying to make the sound of space anyway this is set on a spaceship to begin with um that I've forgotten the name, called Fortune's Favour, I think, or something like that, right? And we've got a kind of, the characters are like a motley crew kind of uh, bunch who are all, um, I mean, this is, I don't know, what are they doing? They're like... They're like a trade ship or or a scavenger ship or something. I mean, what what's really interesting about this story is that it is, there are no space marines, there's no sort of higher force or anything like that it's it's a story of normal people living and making their living uh in the the empire yeah and um so the, yeah and this is like you get the, the sense that this is a sort of far-flung 
enterprise. It's not like like so. The the one of the the, the first character we really are introduced to the voice of is a navigator, the navigator of this ship, and he's. Uh, so the navigators seem to be from to form a kind of, or uh, or be from a sort of aristocratic elite sort of. Um, yeah, his his name's Erdash Rowe of of House Dovar, and, right. and um, often he he's just called Dovar most of the time throughout the the story. And from what I can pick up, maybe all navigators are split into different aristocratic houses. And there, is, there are jostling between them, um, yeah. which would be, a, I think you mentioned last episode, Will, that there is a whole book on them now. So that would be really interesting to hear. But it, uh, yeah. it sort of describes his, uh, his role aboard the ship whenever he is bringing them through the warp, which is just the way they, you travel over long distances. And it's, yeah. uh, it's quite a, it seems to be quite a uh, intensive and scary um thing just plotting a normal course through this and traveling on a just any old mission yeah and and one of the things just to sort of give a sense of what this group and their enterprises is like he he expresses that he you know this is not really what he wants to be doing he wants to be doing something more important or exciting basically yeah he he's very ambitious and uh he also has a lot of um sort of aristocratic views on his own importance compared to his shipmates and the uh the role of the 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 ship itself which is just some sort of trade vessel of some kind yeah and um so the story begins when he's they've based they've been pulled out of the warp their their warp journey wherever they were going by, um, well he blames it on the ship, and he's from the very beginning of the story he's kind of hearing a voice in his head, um, and he's sort of trying to fight that and he's saying head towards the light seek refuge, and uh, they get a signal from from a, a space station um, that is called refuge or it's, or it's nicknamed refuge and he sees that as a kind of sign um also in the ship we've got uh, the captain what was her name uh she's called ark ark yeah um she's the captain uh, and she has a sword <laughs> <laughs> good good character point there i was i was just thinking what's the main thing i remember about her personality i remember her having a sword and being willing to use it um she's she's forceful she um she's kind of that that captain that you see a lot in these things she's a uh, very very proud of her ship she yeah. uh, she calls it her fine lady and calls her calls it that um quite a bit do you know like what you were saying about how there's like sometimes with this medium there can be like inevitable clunkiness with some things i think actually like you know we've obviously highlighted several clunky lines in other books on the, the this in the course of this podcast series and I, like i don't think there were too many lines i thought you know obviously it's something like that's really probably going to stand out when someone reads it out but there weren't too many that made me you know i, th- I think yeah. the writing was probably fairly good but there <laughs> was one that just happened three times i think which was um they're talking about the navigator and it's like it's insane. and he saw it with all three of his eyes yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you're like well me i'm not sure we've we've uh, expressed that in the previous books navigators have three eyes that's a good point oh do they actually yeah all right i thought it was like the third eye you know they're oh no like, it, eye. well yeah but also these books don't allow that kind of <laughs> of subtlety to go on sort of materialized in the real world the third eye is a third eye (laughs) (laughs) so um so yeah i mean it's a fair point to raise it would be i would raise it i I, I would um i mean admittedly like (laughs) rather than having just a bit of exposition that says these characters have three eyes that does it less you know it's less clunky to say he experienced it with all three of his eyes um, but it's just that it was written like that three times. I could, and, but uh, I could actually, I could see this navigator, like actually bringing it up 
in in real conversation just like i'll get that light out of my eyes all three of my eyes and (laughs) and everyone else just going yeah i fucking get it mate like seriously i can see them every time i look at you i see the third one you don't need to bring it up but uh on on top of the captain arc with her the main her main character point is that she has a sword as as william brought up um there is a character called suma and she's the engine ear uh unfortunately they call an engineer an engine seer in this in this universe and um i bring that up only because it's awful i will be calling her the engineer from this point on i think i'm gonna go engine seer really well that's (laughs) yeah that's very much your decision um she is her character is fine but they lumber her with a terrible voice uh, like a computerized voice like Siri or something and she just sounds like uh, an enemy from Doctor Who in the 1970s or something she's just I I just felt it didn't work and her character like in many ways is is, is one of these characters like Data or some someone like that you yeah. know what I mean who's who's in some way like caught between the human and the machine world and she's like she's like a like one of the I, i'm not could be wrong in this but is she like one of the sort of people that the mechanicum i can't remember what they're called like mechanicum adepts uh that like have were humans originally but then have had loads of stuff implanted into them and uh, yeah I, I don't think she's part of the mechanicum but i think she will have, no no uh, yeah she will have uh she has various things implanted to make her job as engineer and um sort of working with the ship and the computer systems easier uh she also has glass eyes uh like she so she looks full-on human robot hybrid monster thing um and yeah i mean you do in in an audio medium you do have to give her a stupid computer voice i suppose uh but it just didn't work very well for me. Yeah. So that, and then there's also a kind of ex-military guy, um, who's the sort of muscle of the crew. He's uh, what was his name? He's called Hallett. Hallett. Yeah. And there's some other guy who doesn't feature very much. He stays on board the ship whenever, but we'll we'll get to him because he he's not long for this world, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, the, the, at at this point. There is a there is a demon voice, uh, reverberating, just saying refuge over and over. Yeah. And uh, as William said, they they find this uh, space station called Refuge, and there is a seemingly one woman on board, uh, and they they talk to her over the vox, and she says to come aboard, and they they can help with the refit to the warp drive so that they can get back into the warp and be on their way again yeah um and it, but she sounds a bit a little bit like shifty um, yeah not to be trusted I yeah so there's something going on but they're like well w- we need a refit this is literally the only place uh we're caught between a rock and a hard place so we may as well just go and 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 see but they're on their guard as they they dock with refuge yeah, and they they get on board, and it's all eerily quiet, and and the outside of the the station is damaged as well, um, but they don't know what could have caused it. So they're they're not going in blind. Uh, they're they're prepared and they're sort of inching along. There's that one left aboard whose name we can't remember. Um, he's going to die soon, and the rest they go and uh, are sort of inching their way forward until they, they they approach this sort of barricade um with uh the these words uh, written on it in some sort of red liquid um called yeah uh called too late yeah, it says too late basically at this at this point i've got this written down um so they're at this barricade and the captain is like you know what? Fuck this. Let's just get back aboard the ship. Oh yeah. And yeah. The, the navigator says, "No, the um, I in the warp, 
I was told to follow the light to refuge. We're here. There's something, there's something bigger going on here and we need to see it. Um, this is the point where Captain Ark grabs her sword, pulls it out. It. And like, I told you the sword was a big part of it. Yeah, her. exactly. We'll be seeing that sword again later. <laughs> and she like puts it up to the navigator's throat and says, no, we're going. Uh, it was, was kind of nice, this, whereas this is clearly horror movie staple. And it was kind of nice just to have somebody in authority just go, holy shit, no way. We are not yeah. going in there. <laughs> Let's get back in the ship. Yeah. Um, but then they hear a big, about this point, they hear a big crashing sound, which is uh, the umbilical linking thing between their ship and the space station breaking off, basically, isn't it? And then yep. their their ship drifting off. Uh, and and she uh, gets onto the Vox to Varro, that's the guy. And uh, she's just like, What's going on? And he's like, I don't know. It's nothing on this side. Um, doesn't seem to be a huge amount wrong, but there's there's a there's such a loud noise going on. And she tells him to bring the ship around to the other side of the station, and they'll make their way there. And then Varro starts sort of overacting a little bit, saying, "It's too late. It's too late. It's too late uh, to undo what's been done." Uh, this is the point where he pulls out his gun, shoots himself in the head. At the same time, is screaming, and this is the kind of thing that uh, are in audio dramas, because um, I, I don't think you scream when you shoot yourself in the head. But he shoots himself in the head. He screams, and she says, "He just shot himself in the head." <laughs> so, it was very good. That happens, and they're like, the ship explodes. Ship explodes. So they've got no uh, way that they can tell to get out and it's around about this time they meet Kosh yeah they um, Suma has some sort of uh, like cutting torch in her sort of engineer repertoire so she whips that out and cuts away through the barricade and they find um, bodies uh, ragged horrible uh, wounded bodies and then Hallett is like He's he's seen something like that before, um, in his previous life. Uh, he was in the uh, the military, and he's like, I I know what did this. I know what creatures can do this kind of thing. It's clearly not uh, humans that that wounded people in this way, but unhelpfully, he doesn't tell anybody. Um, he just says, "Oh, only very very bad things can." can do this um and, and they they check all the bodies and make their way to the bridge because they think well we'll we're gonna have to power up some systems and take a look at what's available and yeah they search the weapons for like just stuff that they can use for equipment and stuff then this hallett's uh, person starts hallucinating that he's back aboard or back in that place which he experienced before and uh, these bodies that are on this uh, station he starts seeing as his old uh, former colleagues in the military and um, he like takes their dog tags and starts talking to them and they start talking back claiming that he left them to die and that he should be dead with them and he takes his pistol out and shoots one of the corpses and everyone's just like, Hallett's, what are you doing? And then he sort of comes back to himself. We've all seen that in other horror movies and action movies and stuff. Yeah, and this this um, sort of thing kind of is really the heart of this story, which the rest of which is basically all of the characters, well, mainly is all of the characters dealing with something from their past uh, that's being brought back to them in the form of this kind of hallucination or whatever that's being caused by whatever demonic force has uh, got this space station in its grip. Yeah, and it's something that I'm I, I maybe didn't quite like so much was that everyone had a voice in their head talking to them, and they all kept it to themselves. I it just felt a little bit sort of um, tangled um, in terms of storytelling. I think I maybe would have preferred one kind of uh you know memory becoming real again type type thing 
Yeah, and uh, like I know what you mean. Um, I thought it was going to be based around Dovar. Yeah, that's what it's called. I thought it was going to be driven through him really, but it turned out to be all of them. But I thought it was okay actually. I thought like um, I, I mean, yeah, this is the thing that you've obviously seen lots of other in lots of other stories where someone is having this hallucination of some sort, and then it's like it's a warped version of the things that they're actually seeing, you know, um, yeah. and then maybe it causes them to do something. Um, and so that's seemingly what's going on with the guy that they left behind is something's taken over his mind. We've also got something that's communicating with Dovar. Um, around about this time, the captain as well, I can't remember. She certainly gives some indication of um, thinking back or feeling bad about something that she did in her past. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and, the, and and when when they snap to still on the bridge, um, Dovar is on his knees, and there is a, a woman uh, with a gun to his head, um, and she's the one who they spoke to, who drew them in to the ship, or to uh, to the station, sorry, um, and they sort of uh, draw their weapons and accuse her of destroying their ship. Yeah, and uh, she basically admits that she had brought them onto the space station in false pretenses, but she says um, basically that she couldn't have possibly destroyed their ship. And pretty quickly, um, they get on good terms, essentially, and and decide that they all need to work together to find a way out um, of of the space station. She's she's called uh, Kosh. Kosh, yep. Um, and she says, like her crew, just all, or not her crew, but the the crew of the space station, all um, turned on each other and started. You know, they all. Does she say they'd been experiencing hallucinations? Um, yeah, yeah she, she says that they all started uh, saying it's it's too late and um, uh, experiencing the same things that they had been doing, um, and that. There is no way to refit the ship. They just need to get to the communications array um, in order to repair that and uh, send a, a message asking for help. The the robot woman, Suma, Suma is really like taken with this space station because, and this is a bit like the um, Mechanicum talking about them wanting to like uh, learn about all the tech on a newly discovered world or whatever but um she's really taken by this because it's some kind of old uh type of space station that you don't commonly get anymore and she really wants to find out more about it um and she she's like interfaces with somehow with some like she's got electronic sort of cables and stuff that come out of her that uh, she she connects to the ship and um and, and the the uh sound effects when this is happening the fully work is some real high-tech beep boop shit going on here i really really enjoyed it what's the term you use for that fully work fully yeah fully i never heard of that does that just mean like yeah it's sound it, effects and yeah it's making sound effects with just random shit in a recording studio right and she gets like what happens to her here she gets like a cold she senses cold somehow from the, the heart of the ship. Yeah, she can, um, because she's like linked with the uh, the station, she can see through all of its uh, pick displays and she can feel through all its different sensors and stuff. And she can feel that the core of the ship is cold when, when in fact it's like a fusion core. It should be really, really hot. And then she gets a voice in her head saying, um, you see... A lot but you don't see everything do you want full knowledge an explanation of what's going on here and she's yeah she's part of the she's like the mechanicum she's an engineer she uh sort of lives to explain why things are the way they are um and so she accept <clears throat> accepts this deal of knowing everything uh but at that point she starts like bleeding and bits falling off her and stuff and choking on blood um and yeah the 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 sound effects work on this is kind of good because it's um it it raises the 
the heartbeat I think a little bit in this and uh, things start sort of clashing and it's uh, it's very good but they cut her out and but her eyes have like popped and she's all but she says that he's waiting at the core free him and he will show you the way out that's basically it for her and she dies and so they continue making their way to the core and they reach a place where the the walls are, are are covered in kind of crystals like massive crystals which isn't isn't it's not just like they're frozen it's it's some sort of other um crystal formations and and it's they're all mirrored so it's like a yeah it's like a hall of mirrors basically reflecting everything back at them yeah and uh this is this is kind of stupid i think just that um they say Hmm. I, I no, I think it's harsh to call it stupid because they they have a very short time in order to tell a story here, but because there's there's mirrors reflecting everything, nobody can be sure of the right way. Uh, Hallett says, right, everyone, don't stay together, don't get lost because this will fuck us up if we get lost. Then a, a, a freeze later, Hallett finds himself alone. They've all like gone about their own business and have. Uh, they're all doing their own thing but this is when he starts having a hallucination isn't it basically where he because i I, um actually didn't even realize this was a hallucination for the first minute of it i actually thought oh it's just monsters attacking them now but uh he starts seeing uh, monsters coming at him which presumably are the same things he was talking about before and he tries to shoot at one um or does shoot at one and then snaps back into reality and he's shot Kosh, the woman that was on board the space station that called them uh, to, to come there. Um, yeah, and um, she she dies. It's, it's done It's done quite well because, uh, yeah, it's uh, Hallett is sort of sees what he's done. Um, he was shooting, in his head, he was shooting this attacking monster. But uh, obviously killed this this person and uh, the noise draws arc over the captain and uh hallett explains that um she was coming at him with her wrench which was her weapon this i i wasn't sure it was it was good because i wasn't sure whether that was the case whether uh kosh was experiencing her own sort of madness or whether it was hallett just trying to get out of it so um, with more time, they could have explained that, or m- not even. But yeah, I wasn't sure, and I liked it. Because later on, he he does he wise or omits uh, to tell the captain something, doesn't he? Yeah. Which um, would would make us think that maybe it was the same here that he was um, just lying basically about it. But you know, looking back from later on, anyway. Um, and they uh, at this point the. The navigator has disappeared, hasn't he? Yeah, he's um, he's uh, he's got to the stage where he can follow a path of light that he's seeing, and the rest of the crew uh, are, are nothing to him, so he just leaves them behind. The light is leading him, so he doesn't need uh, to care about like this hall of mirrors or anything. And he thinks it's sort of um, destiny, or, or not destiny, but you know he's here for a reason. He's been. He heard this voice and he's following the light and he needs to get to refuge and that's going to, you know, it'll take him away from just being this sort of C-rate navigator on a... It's it's playing into everything that he wants. Um, yeah. And he, he thinks of himself as being better than where he is. And I can't remember the exact order of events here, but basically he gets to um, the core of the ship um, where they've sensed this cold coming from and he gets sort of captured would I ever say um by I I don't like this and this is something that I I I think it's totally fair to complain about in in the core there's this kind of cold mist all around and it's just sort of floating around in the air and all of a sudden it rushes towards him and starts pouring into him and he sees this old figure and it's his father um waiting for him and he starts talking to him and well, he basically says that um, in order to have reached here, it's obvious, obviously been 
a, a strength of of will and character that has brought him here and that he approves of him and that he's worthy of his family name and that he is destined for greater things and that all, all Dovar needs to do is reach out his hand and you know embrace his father and they will go home together and that's where the the next great stage of his life and of House Dovar's reputation will be born and his, his, his dad speaks in a totally demonic voice yeah yeah exactly but the, the the thing i wanted to bring up here is is a problem with like monster movies and 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 that kind of thing like the monster here is missed and i've seen that a million times and i just think that in these kind of stories i think it was i think it's john carpenter says you need a bit you need a proper monster and if you've got a good one show it you know don't have don't have it like lurking in the shadows and you know you only see it for short glimpses you know in that in a kind of uh cloverfield type type way you know you never see it straight on it's always shaky um he always said like show me the monster put it on the screen and i'm of the same opinion here is that i missed seriously is that is that the best your imagination can come up with i just think it's a shit a shit um monster doesn't it turn out to to be your classic many-eyed demon beast thing Uh, no no, well it's got nine eyes it's definitely got nine (laughs) eyes but it's uh, it's only ever uh, a shadowy misty right uh, the nine the nine eyes looks out of a big bit of mist so yeah he's he gets sort of captured by that thing and and the other two, um, they yeah, they they uh, now that they find each other, they just like start fucking shooting through the uh, and smashing up the the crystals, and they find Dovar screaming uh, in amongst this mist, which is like pouring into him, um, and he's crying at the same time, and at this point, Ark flashes back to the memory that we've had a little bit of sort of. Um, foreshadowing of but we don't know what her memory is at this point but yeah. she goes right back to it and she uh, is sort of on the ground with uh, this guy called Sato who was obviously the captain before her and some kind of uh, mentor and they've had a bit of a, a scrap a sword fight and um it's clearly that he's defeated her and he cuts this mark on her to say like i've defeated you now let's get back to work honor is satisfied uh, yeah. but she betrays him she stabs him uh through the heart with her sweet sword and that's how she becomes captain is through this mutiny but that was that was it was his sword that she's now got yeah uh, yeah and uh so in her vo- in in her head his voice is like will you do this again like do you not feel bad do you not owe me an apology um yeah. but ark is the only one who's able to see that this is a hallucination and that um i think she's probably the only one who sees that she would do it again like the uh, the the soldier hallets he left his friends to die um, and wishes that he was dead too. But um, I think Ark regrets that she's killed this person, but actually would do it again. So is sort of less, um, uh, is less prone to be affected by these uh, remembrances. Um, and this, she she proves herself to be the most interesting character in this book, I think. Um, from starting off like, yeah, you just think it's just this sort of fairly cookie-cutter sort of captain figure who's attached to your ship. Um, but then it, this whole backstory, I thought, was really... And the fact that she she can just sort of fight through that and um, it doesn't get drawn in, into it like the rest of them. Um, she's Yeah, she's always very clearly living this hallucination, but she knows that it's a memory. Yeah, and uh, I think that that the 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 story of how she became captain, I thought was actually really good. Like the sort of dual, um, and and the description of this other 
the man that she had a duel with that um, she she seemed to actually she quite liked him and yeah uh, and he was charismatic and seemingly a nice guy and even after the duel when you know he just sort of did this because that was the the rules of it that they whoever lost the duel got a, a mark on their face but she says even in that moment he there was a sort of warmth yeah from him and then she was like uh, she killed him to take over the ship and then she talks about the the wine that he said that the that made her do what she did was saying that what the ship means is freedom so it was like that's what you know she wanted control of that and and to have that freedom herself and i, I just thought like well, I, going didn't, from, I didn't realize she, that that's quite interesting and i suppose i suppose it's it's a very good point yeah and uh, and i like the way as well that she snapped out of this and she immediately just um shot the the thing uh, or shot the navigator through the head um yeah which sort of and i th- i think that's a that's a, a part of it is that um the the other people experiencing these um, hallucinations were just like destroyed by regret whereas the she was like i'd fucking do it again <laughs> like i got this sweet ship out of the deal um <laughs> and so uh, that allowed her to be a little bit less um destroyed by it all but yeah as you say she um well she takes a gun out and shoots it and that's it <laughs> Yeah, and the, the navigator because like now it's some it's sort of attached to the navigator. And does the navigator not say something like even though they'd been kind of fighting throughout the story, he's like at this point he's like sort of shoot me and yeah, I I don't like that. I th- I find that in the, in films and books and stuff to be a cop out. I like I like it to be a shitty decision. Don't have the person that you're killing just go. I give you permission to not kill yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Just like. If you have to do it, you have to do it. Just buy into it. Um, and yeah, it's from a dramatic point of view, it makes it a more affecting situation, yeah. I guess. If, um, and uh, but that's not it. That's not it. Over. That that's not it. The um, the soldier, ex-soldier guy. What does he do here? He he tricks her somehow. Uh, well, he he sort of bashes her a bit and uh, runs out and. He has, uh, in his his own hallucination, he's cl- clawed off most of his face, uh, uh, but runs to the the door to the communication tower and seals it uh, behind him. Uh, so she comes over and starts like beating on this door, uh, and he goes to the array. At which point, the uh, the smoke, the mist, starts like moving towards the captain, and. Uh it ends with him calling out from the communications um, system. Basically, we're sort of back to the to the start. the 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 situation is going to repeat again because he he has he's put out a message and got a response from a a passing a ship somewhere in the vicinity, and he's similar to what Kosh did to them. He's he, not, and he uses the exact same language as her. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah, because she said she uses quite slightly weird phrasing. Um, so, and that was it, pretty much. Did you enjoy the story? I did. Um, uh, I don't. I don't like monster stories that don't have a good monster. Um, yeah, and they didn't. But this is this is a horror story, and. It, in in some ways it was horrifying i think like i had i still have this sort of recurring nightmare that i had when i was younger uh, an awful lot and much less so now but it it is sort of based around that groundhog day type thing um of being locked into this repeating task without any uh without any exit from it and uh, this seems like it's uh, it, you know it's part of that, and I, fi- I find that concept to be awful, like yeah. really scary. Um, and this this depicted that quite well as a sort of reveal at the end. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I thought the um, the audio work was good. Um, I thought the acting 
was very good. I thought the narrator, whoever that is, was brilliant. Like, he's just got a great voice. Um, so, yeah, very entertaining, all in all. Was it scary? It was atmospheric. It was atmospheric. I think, I think with this, with books and with audiobooks and audio dramas, it's only as scary as you allow it to get, I, I think, because this could be a bullshit thought. I'm just having it now, so let me just follow it down and see see where it leads me. But like, um, you have to do so much work on your like your yourself with with this kind of thing, um, in imagining the scene and picturing it in your head. Yeah, and you can sort of it's up to you how scary it gets in many ways whereas with uh, a movie it's it's there for you um so it's maybe i've really not read a whole lot of horror um fiction um you know a few a couple of like you know read like dracula and stuff like that frankenstein but but like i've not read any stephen king books um yeah me me too i was thinking that uh, and i don't like I don't like horror or anything. So um, that's what's kept me away. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, Stephen King is the name that would obviously come up. And I've heard people say it's just entertaining stuff. Like people love Stephen King's books. Yeah. And um, maybe it's something I I really should, but like there's, there's, there's so much to read. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's a good point you make. It's like even if you don't like watching horror films or playing horror games, like the reading of a horror book might be different uh, it, for the in the, for the reasons you've just described. That it's, it's to a certain extent how much you want to buy in with that. But yeah, I think that's it's done. So thanks to everyone who uh, is listening and emailing and stuff. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yep, yeah, and we'll be back to our normal schedule uh, with the next uh, podcast will be about uh, Legion, uh, the next book in the Horse Heresy series, and that'll just be in the usual Monday slot. Nice one. Uh, well, you know, well, enjoy your Halloween uh, celebration. <laughs> spooky. What, a, what, a, what a spooky episode we've just had. Real spooky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, see you. Bye.